for Your Good Ministries International, a ministry going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. This series is teaching on the law of first reference, that is, how we begin or upon what do we establish all things in our lives, and the law of first institution, that is, through what do we first work all things out in our lives. And now, here's Abraham. A very good day to all. Uh, this is Abraham Foss of Four You Good Ministries International. And again, it's my great privilege to share from the Word of God and pick up from the first two parts of a series of episodes that we shall record that make reference to, as we spoke before, the laws of first reference and how important that is in the conduct of every area of our lives and how we build our theology and how we station and effect any situation or circumstance in our lives. We spoke about the Word of God has application in our marriage, in our family, in how we parent, in establishing business and or finance. And so the list goes on and on. But the Word of God should be our first reference point. We spoke about how the Holy Spirit brings conception to the Word of God. And our initial point of reference was the book of Genesis, chapter 1 from verse 1, which uh, makes obvious sense that that's where things all begin, from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 through to verse 3. And so to just refer to the foundation that we laid in our first two episodes, I'm going to go back to Genesis 1. Read from verse 1 and close to verse 3, and then pick up from a portion of scripture in the book of Luke that emphasizes the same point that we find in Genesis 1, verse 1 through to 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created the heavens and the earth that would have represented the very nature and person of God. That creation would have been and was perfect in its time. However, as we referred to in our previous episodes, when you go to verse 2, we find something that's a stark contrast, a stark difference to what verse 1 represents. So God creates the heavens and the earth. They depict, they look like the very person of God in that it's light and perfection. Now, when we go to verse 2, we find something starkly different. And let's read again from verse 2. It says, but now the earth was without form. So some theologians believe that at least prospectively something catastrophic happened that scripture doesn't inform us of. And they suggest what could have taken place at that time was that over a long period of time, perhaps millions of years, then they substantiate. That's why you find fossilized life or dinosaur life or what people call prehistoric life. Again, as I referred to in the previous episodes, I don't want to get stuck on whether that's an absolute and or not, because there's a point I want to take out of this. But let's suppose that perhaps that was the case in time, that perhaps for millions of years, the earth found herself in this void, dark space. And then a second take is this. Theologians say as follows. They believe that perhaps... It's when who was previously known as Lucifer in heaven and ministering angels were thrown out of heaven 
because of the pride of Lucifer and those angels. We know that Lucifer, once thrown out of heaven, is referred to as Satan or the devil, the one who lies or deceives. And then we know that the fallen agents are called as demons. Well, suppose verse 2 could depict that that represents something of a Lucifer who he is no longer, but is represented as Satan. That Satan or the devil or the fallen angels could represent the status of the earth that we find in verse 2. So again, let's look at what verse 2 says. And at least it depicts the very person or the nature and the practices and intentions of Satan and or the devil. It says the earth was without form and void and darkness was on, the, was on the face of the deep. That at least sounds a lot like the person of Satan and the demonic realm. But our emphasis that we laid in our previous episodes was more this. It says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There was a hovering taking place of the Spirit of God. We refer to that as a reverberation or a vibration or something that was covering the earth at that point in time. We went on to say that it would seem that the Spirit of God was not doing anything about the status quo or perhaps was disabled and or thereby not able to do anything about the situation. So if the Holy Spirit was disabled, what enabled the Holy Spirit to change the status of the earth at that point in time? We spoke about that verse 2 could represent either your life and or mine, that we are in a void, dark place, representing some failure, some hardship, some pain in our lives, but that we need to know that the Spirit of God is above every circumstance, hovering, wanting to do something about the situation to bring restoration, reconciliation, success, and so forth. But what is it that releases or disengages or enables the Holy Spirit to bring about a change to the matter of the earth in this case, or to the matter of the status of heirs of perhaps your life and or mine. And this is powerful when we understand that the Word of God works with, may I say, one agent. There is a one thing that, that puts the Holy Spirit to work. And so let's look again. It says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But then we go to verse 3, and this is where there's a stark contrast that arguably brings us back to what we find in verse 1. It says, and then God said. In other words, the Holy Spirit brings about conception or engages the process of change when the Word of God is evident or we embrace the Word of God with the corresponding action of doing the Word of God. At that point in time, it's helpful to know that the Holy Spirit has brought a conception that will bring about a change. Like with a woman who falls pregnant, once she receives, as the Word of God is referred to in Mark chapter 4 as a sperm, when she receives that, a conception that brings about a birth, that brings about a product that's different from that that was before, begins to be processed. So let's go back. In verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. But then God said, I was, then the Word of God was spoken. In John chapter 1 verse 1, we read as follows. 
It says, in the beginning was the Word. So when we go to the Word of God, in the beginning of any situation or circumstance or anything we're about to embark on, because that's the best time to go to God's Word. We're about to consider being married. We're about to consider having children, perhaps starting a business, a ministry or a church. Before we start anything like that, sound advice on the evidence of when the Holy Spirit engages is to firstly search out the Word of God in that situation. So before I'm going to get married, I go to the Word of God and I search out every scripture on marriage. What does that do? It gives the Holy Spirit matter to bring about a conception, to birth something in me that prepares me or readies me for marriage. In fact, with interest, the Bible says this. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. It does not say he who finds a girlfriend finds a good thing. So in other words, you're finding that that represents a product that you will be married to when you say, I will or I do. So when you're about to get married, you're looking in the case of a man to find a wife. Someone who's gone to the word, has established herself on what a wife is by the word. She's read it herself as a wife. And then in the vice versa, the lady or the woman is looking for a man who's already a fay with what a husband is. We has gone to the word of God to study out, to search out what does it mean to be a husband. So now well prepared, the husband finds a wife, the wife finds a husband, and then and only then should they best be married. However, if there are those who've been married, not having journeyed down that road, there's of course the opportunity in Christ by the Word of God to restore and reconcile any broken situation. If we do, as the scripture indicates we should do, we go to the Word of God. So we go back and say, Lord God, we've walked down a road that has not represented success. We want that change. We're battling. It's hard. We're struggling. We're even contemplating prospective divorce. We're in a diabolical place. Well, we change that by choosing to go to the Word to read about He who created marriage as how to best affect it. And when we go to the Word and say, Lord God, I'm embracing that Word. As I mentioned, then the Holy Spirit brings about a conception that will bring about, about a progressive change of healing in that situation. I am personally very involved in training pastors and leaders. And for many pastors and leaders, while they struggle and even prospectively fail, if I may say so, is in many a case, they respond to the call and not the sending. So God calls us first to be prepared and get ready as Jesus did with the twelve. Then he may send them out, says the book of Mark chapter 3. And so we may start a church, start a marriage, start a business, having not gone to the word of God, but know that God calls those things for us to enjoy, yet we're struggling and maybe from that questioning God. Well, why is this not working out? Well, God calls at a point of time, but only sends us to effect the calling once we're fully prepared by the word of God, for from the Word of God, the Holy Spirit has brought conception. There's something growing to be ready. So he who finds a wife, he who finds a husband, he who finds a pastor. So a pastor who has been called, has gone to the Word of God, has got prepared, is founded on the Word of God, 
has studied Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how did Jesus do things, has gone to the book of Acts to see what the result of that was, to find out what's the journey that brings about that result, and once that happens, to then initiate the planting of the church, or in the case of marriage, at that point in time, going before the altar and saying, I do because I'm ready, I've gone to the Word, the Holy Spirit is at work, the sword of the Spirit, says the book of Ephesians 6, is the Word of God, I'm now ready, preparation time is investment time and never wasted time. For Your Good Ministries International, a ministry whose vision it is to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. For Your Good both hosts its own conferences and is also invited into other contexts to train and to teach. Two, train pastors and leaders and others in the fivefold ministry. Training to church governance with resultant unity. Mediate into and bring about conflict resolution. Training to marriage, family, and parenting. Training to the business sectors and how to be in unity and function successfully for unity commands a blessing. Trains too into the educational sectors on how to be in unity and function successfully for unity commands a blessing. For Your Good also establishes Bible colleges. For Your Good Ministries, ministers on Christian radio, on online platforms and on various social media platforms. Partner with us for For Your Good Ministries as a heart for all is going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. And email us for more information on our ministry services or to train into your context. Reach out to us on inquiries at foryourgood.net. Now look at another portion of scripture that emphasizes exactly the same point in the New Testament that we refer to as the New Covenant. Somewhere down the road of these teachings that I will render on television, we'll talk about the different covenants and how to rightly divide the Word of God. That's an imperative in our understanding because if we don't understand, we interpret the Word of God in certain covenants and or contexts we're going to become a little bit confused when we read God's Word. But we'll teach something of that going into the future. But for now, staying with the engagement of the Holy Spirit, only into the Word of God, received by faith by the recipient, is what I want to refer to by going to the book of Luke and chapter 1, reading from verse 26. This is talking about the angel coming to Mary bringing a word that represents the intended birthing of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And I want to say that up front, if Mary didn't embrace the word in faith, Holy Spirit could not have brought about conception, and Jesus, as we know him to have been Son of Man, would not have had the opportunity to walk the earth. So powerful is the understanding of the word of God, and receiving it by faith, whereby and where from, Holy Spirit can bring about conception, in its regard. So it says in verse 26, and there's a lot of reading here, please bear with me, I need to build a case for where we're going. It says, now in the sixth month, 
the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city in Galilee. Galilee represents that that's vibrant, that that is abundant, that that it was fluent, etc., etc. It's a vibrant place. There's a lot we could speak about that, but I want us to keep that the backdrop of our memory. So, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. With interest in that, Mary means embittered one. Often people were named by that that represents the season of their past. Just shows us the grace and the hope we find in the person of Jesus Christ that engages with an embittered one that that represents Mary's past. It says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Look at Mary's response. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. She was astounded by the embracing, sensitive, and tender engagement of the angel that was sent by God. Understand that her backdrop was a legalistic one that represented a pharmaceutical environment where their perception was a harsh God. Mary was startled by the friendly, warm, embracing nature of the approach of the angel of the Lord. Then the angel said to her, that being Mary, do not be afraid. For you have found favor with God. Yeah, the embittered one finds favor with God because God calls those things that aren't as if they were. A God of grace engages with man to empower man to bring about change. And then in verse 31, it says, And behold, you will. That is stated in what we call the absolute tense. In other words, to the exception of nothing and to the inclusion of nothing else. This will be the case. There'll be zero variation. This is going to take place. You can take it as a given. Will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. So again, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. So the word of God that comes to us is an absolute. There's no ands, ifs, or buts, or gray areas. When God gives a word, the word he gives is going to come to pass if we receive it by faith, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring conception to realize its outworkings. So again, it says, and behold, you will. I love to see the word of God that way. You will. I never question God's word. I never say, but what if? I never factor my experience into God's word or measure God's word by my experience, should I say. My experience must be adjusted to line up to the word of God. When we see the word of God as a given absolute, that God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Behold, he's given commandment to bless, and he will bless and will not reverse it, says God's word. So God's intention, every word he gives us for marriage, for business, for family, for pastoring, for church life, etc., etc., God intends it to be blessed. It's blessed by the embracing of the word of God, by trusting the word of God, thereby giving allowance to the Holy Spirit to bring about its promised intended product. So again it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall 
be called Jesus. The Lord saves. That will be his name. There will be no variation. He shall be called the Savior of the world. Or Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, the Empowering One, the Atoning One, the One who redeems, who set free, who sets free, who heals, who delivers, who prospers, who protects. All of those references encompass the words Jesus Christ. So He shall be called Jesus. Then the angel of the Lord goes on to say, speaking of Jesus, He will be. Can you see the absolutes? God is clear. He's succinct. He's defined. God's word we can trust. We can lean upon God's word and it will never falter, fail or fall over. He says he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. In other words, when God gives a word, whatever he says in that word, that is going to be that case. When he teaches me by his word how to function as head of the home, as a husband in the home, as father in the home, when I understand what head is, which means sets the first example, the example of Jesus Christ, not the one who imposes or bosses around, but sets the first example, that's an absolute. When God gives me that word to lead my family in that regard, its promised outworking is going to happen. There's no alternative. I can put faith in a God who's absolute. The Bible says God does not change like shifting shadows. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is a constant. We as mankind variate, we're inconsistent, and sometimes we measure God by our inconsistencies. But I like to say that I drive a stake in the ground that represents the Word of God, and I shall not stray or falter therefrom, no matter what happens in and around my life, no matter what wind may blow. The Word of God is settled in heaven, says the psalmist. Forever settled in heaven. The word of God will never falter. It is true and will remain true for all time. It's the one thing that remains throughout eternity is the word of God is fixed and absolute. So here again, let's read. It says he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Will again. Can you see that? Absolute. My emphasis is to trust the word of God. It's a will do, will be understanding it says and he will reign he will reign again there's that will he will reign over the house of jacob for how long forever so from the moment jesus came he came back to reinstate his reigning forever and ever for man had lost some of that in the garden of eden and, and had given some of his authority to the enemy it says and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and his kingdom, there will be no end. What a glorious promise. The kingdom of God will have no end to it. And then Mary, a little bit startled by all of this, understanding she's the embittered one, her backdrop reference was a pharmaceutical one, says, and then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? She was looking for further reinforcement. She was querying. She wasn't rebelling against. Or digging on her heels and saying, no, I shall not do. She is inquiring. There's a place to inquire of God. Father, help me to understand this thing. This that you've now just shared with me is huge. Help me to understand it so I can receive it. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Valid question. And then the angel of the Lord answers. 
And the angel answered and said to her, there was a gentle tone here, an engaging, embracing tone. That's how God speaks with us as mankind. God loves us unconditionally. Our, our view of love, our status of love never changes the optimized level of God's love towards us. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit, here we go. So here comes the word first. Now going back to Genesis 1 verses 1 through to 3, the same principle when Jesus Christ comes to the earth prevails. It says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you or will hover above you or reverberate or vibrate. So I brought you the word if and when you receive it. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is hovering, wanting to bring about a conception or the very birth of the word, which represents in this case, he who is the word, the person of Jesus Christ. So he has this reverberation over the word that the angel of the Lord is bringing Mary. So the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Again, there's that word will. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One, who is to be born now, speaking of Jesus, will be called the Son of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to engage with this word, bringing about a conception, and all that I've precedingly told you is going to transpire and take place. I'm responding to your query to bring you to a place of faith so that you can receive the word. And in receiving the word, the Son of God is coming to the earth. And then the Holy Spirit seeks to encourage, as He always does, or rather the angel of the Lord, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. So the Holy Spirit encourages us to build up faith and makes reference in this case to Elizabeth and says she was barren. It was impossible for her to conceive. You've asked, how can you do so? You don't know a man. In the case of Elizabeth, it was impossible, but she readily received my word. She's now pregnant and is six months down the road of that journey. And the Holy Spirit encourages her. Why? So that she will respond by saying yes to the word of God so that the Holy Spirit can fulfill the work that he can only fulfill by, in, and through the word of God. And then it goes on to say in verse 37, For with God, nothing is impossible. No matter the circumstance or situation of your life right now, nothing is impossible with God. Should you go to the Word, thereby giving allowance for the Holy Spirit to bring about a conception that will result in a change. And Mary did just this. In verse 38 it says, and then we'll close today's episode. It says, then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And immediately the angel of the Lord departed from her. So the moment she agreed to embrace the word of God, at that point in time, immediately, the Holy Spirit brought about the conception of Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary. And there was no need further for the angel of the Lord to be there. The angel of the Lord departed immediately. Why? Because the word had been received by faith, by Mary, which had brought conception by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ at that instant in time was birthed in the womb of Mary. We thank you for joining us in viewing this program and look forward to meeting with you next week as we continue with this series.